All right. Got Nick White here today. Nick, thanks for coming today. Appreciate it. Thank you. So, Nick, you're obviously a lender. You work in the residential lending area, and you're, what you tell me is, right, the only guy in New Hampshire right now branching off from Megastar. Yep. That's that's the truth. So, I was at a company called Guaranteed Rate. Everyone's heard of them before. One of the biggest mortgage companies in the whole country, for that matter. And I had an opportunity to uh, grow my brand out west in Colorado and also here in New England with this new company. And, and everything has been great so far. So gotcha. it's really cool providing a different approach to clients and seeing them be happy when they close. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I like I know, you know, we've known each other for a little bit now. I've sort of seen how you handle clients and uh, alongside just, you know, the way that you bring your approach to clients, um, getting them all the way from practically no knowledge of lending whatsoever, all the way through a process to the closing table, super seamless. Um, mm-hmm. And I've always respected that. And, you know, in addition to that, I've sort of respected like your way of, like I said, being the only guy in New Hampshire. Now you're sort of starting from scratch. You have no, you have mentors, but you have no mentors in the area to sort of branch off of, you know, with past leads, maybe they had. So uh, wh- tell me a little bit what it's been like trying to build essentially your own business. Well, the first thing people say is, what is that? I've never heard of that before. And that's honestly the challenge I wanted to, was to provide a different approach and a different style to mortgage lending. I didn't want to be the same old guy at one of the more established companies here in the Northeast. I wanted to provide a different approach. And so far, for the clients that I have worked with and closed with, it's been a really, really great process. But there's still that oh, like we don't know who you are, why should we work with you type deal. So, and with that takes time and reputation and word of mouth from other people to you know, vouch for you. So it's definitely been a bit of a journey and I'm I'm all in to go as far as I can with it. Yeah, no, that sounds awesome. And so, you know, kind of segueing into essentially like the mortgage basics, like you said, you kind of, you like taking that approach of zero knowledge and bringing your clients up to speed essentially with what what it is that they need to know right because like you know i'm a realtor and i don't need to tell the clients and teach them every little aspect of real estate just because it's kind of overwhelming so understanding the mortgage basics what are some of the main things that you know any client that knows nothing should know well first things first buying up buying a house is super comprehensive there's many intricate details that come with it it's up to people like you and I who have our respective roles within the industry to guide clients along the way to make sure that they all they have all their questions answered. So my role as a lender, I take a more comprehensive role with it. I love to walk through the application with the client and that allows me to learn more about them, what their goals are, their motives, what their time frame is looking like. I get a, a simple understanding of their finances, their employment, the whole basic stuff when it comes to an application. And that allows me to also build rapport with them. And then always after that initial application call, I always set up time for a few days after for a consultation meeting. And during that meeting, it can last anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. And we go through different mortgage programs, different products, different scenarios to run through just to make sure they have a better understanding of where each dollar is being allocated into. And if they come across a certain program they like, we go with that program. It suits them best with their current financial needs and also their comfortability levels too. Gotcha. Okay. So 
I mean, yeah, like you said, you kind of take them through the entire process, um, you know, start to finish. What's, you know, my, my question is sort of like, what's the most, I guess, reluctant reason why somebody is maybe worried about getting approved for a loan or they don't even want to visit the subject of getting a loan? Is it like, you know, just mortgage debt ratio to income? Is it credit score? I mean, what what's most often you find that people are hesitant? To apply for a mortgage? Yeah, or even just to, you know, accept the fact that they could potentially get approved for one and they just are under the impression that they can't. I think one of the biggest reasons why people are hesitant to take an application out for a mortgage, they are not they're ashamed or embarrassed of their current financial situation and that it it can be a a tricky subject at times for people. We're not financial advisors by any means, but in a way it's, we do advise them on a pretty big investment and that's buying a property for whatever reason that may be, whatever that goal is buying a property is a big investment regardless. And I think a lot of people don't have a great financial financial situation and that can be embarrassing to for someone to look at the fear of being judged the fear of being you know misled even for that fact so that's why during the initial application call i love to build rapport with my clients to make sure they're comfortable working with me they they know a little bit of what i'm about and they're okay with opening up to me about hey i'm not where i want to be right now but how can i best prepare and plan for that purchase in the future at some point i think that's from what i've seen at least the biggest hesitation as to why people don't want to run a mortgage application gotcha and and so i and i I wanted that sort of to segue into at least a little thing that i feel like i should add to is you know i and i've talked to you about this before when i went to to buy my house i had actually talked to a lender like a year and a half prior to that and I had kind of just given him my situation. I said, here's my income, here's my credit. And essentially I'm looking to buy a property within the next year to two years. What should I do starting today to put myself in a better position in a year from now? You know, and whatever it was at that point, he told me, I know I opened up a second credit card to expedite my credit score mm-hmm. being increased. But the point I make, you know, bringing this up is like, you know, it's always wise to reach out well, well beforehand. You know, like I said, I did a year. I don't, you tell me if a year is necessary, six months. It totally depends on the client. Everyone's situation is different financially. If someone has, they're struggling with debt, let's find a way to clean that up. If maybe they need to increase their income, what are the steps you can take to make sure that happens? Um, Maybe you just want the market to reset and you want, things to be a little bit better or maybe, or whatever the case may be. People's time frames are different, but I think it's a, it's a good idea to talk to somebody in the industry to get their opinion, maybe even two or three different options. So you can weigh the opinions of those people and then, and then set up a game plan for yourself moving forward. It's better to be proactive versus reactive with it. So setting yourself up, one, two, three, four years in advance, maybe even only three months, whatever your time frame is, it's it's only a net benefit at the end of the day to talk to someone beforehand. Right. And how often would you say, do you have people reaching out to you 
well beforehand? Do, do you see people often being proactive? One of my buddies from college hit me up and was like, hey, I'm not buying until 2028. What what should I do to get started? I'm like, well, it's five years out from yeah, now. Yeah, a little so early, but... <laughs> you're, you're, it's far away, so like, you know, what's the reasoning why you want to wait till that, that late? And he just said, with work and traveling, it's just not in his cards right now, but he wants to... When that time does come, he wants to be prepared for it. He's be and I think from the conversation we had a few months ago, he, I think he's going to be well prepared for it. Yeah, I would I would hope so. He's a frugal guy, so I think he'll be fine. Perfect. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I know, too, that people have been hesitant with the rate environment, and it's been mm-hmm. talk of the town for the last eight months now. You know, I where do you see the rates going, number one? Do you see them increasing anymore? Do you see them staying where they're at? Do you see a steady decrease? You know, how do you see the environment going forward? The rates have been probably the number one concern for most home buyers currently, or most homeowners, I should say, looking to relocate for that fact. It's like, oh, the rates are so high. The property values are still too high. Like, why should I give up my two and a half percent rate to triple that? That's something that people are really, really concerned about. It's, I think it's by far the number one concern for most people today. Truthfully, we have no idea what the Federal Reserve is going to do with the rates. My expectation with, again, numbers that come out tomorrow, I think we're going to see a couple more hikes, personally, Mm -hmm. to slow things down even more. Because during COVID, we saw rapid growth within real estate. And that's just simply not sustainable for the long term. I think we're going to see rates continue to rise maybe throughout the remainder of the year and then then hit a stop and continue to drop next year. But home prices have to, have to come down too. That's right. my personal opinion. Okay. So that's where I see things going. And, and you know, the reason I bring that up too is I know that that is something that makes a lot of buyers hesitant right now. And something that I've always said too is if I could choose a higher rate environment or a higher home price environment, I'd pick the rates only because that's the variable of the two. Like if I go pay 500 grand for a house that in a normal rate environment, you know, is is only worth 300,000 or something. But the fact that we're in, you know, when we were down in the twos, right? Like I know my parents are in the high twos. Every property value is so overinflated. And the reality is... Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you got a great rate. You got maybe a 3% rate, but you overpaid by 25% on that house. What can you change down the road? You can change the rate. You cannot change the price you paid for the home. So I look at it like, you know, if if, if I'm going to buy, and strategically at least, looking to save the most amount of money over the, whatever, five to seven years on average that people often stay in their homes, over time, I think, the, the rates are so variable and they fluctuate so much over time that it, it's better to pick a higher rate, pay lower for the house, down the road refinance. It's not a guarantee that the rates are going to drop, but it, there's a good chance just over a seven-year period that they would at one point. The typical home ownership journey for most people is they buy a starter home. They sell that home to buy a bigger house to raise their family in. During that 20 to 25 year ownership, they at least leverage one refinance and then they sell the property when, they, when they're when they empty nesters and they downsize. That's typically the way home ownership works throughout the course of most Americans' life. Um, can you repeat your question one more time? 
Yeah, so I was just saying like, it wasn't even a question as much as just like my perspective on the rates and and how like you know we're oh, in the yeah. in the what mid sevens right now, low to mid sevens. I think we're at seven point two five at the moment. Okay, so yeah, seven and a quarter. And like I said, for me, now in the part of the country we're at right now, we're not seeing a huge decrease in home prices either. So we're not really seeing much of a decrease in any realm. I don't think it's caught up yet. But my point being, in a normal environment. The higher the rate, the lower the home price. And if I'm going to choose which environment I'd like to strategically mm-hmm. purchase a home in, it's going to be the higher rate. It's going to be the variable, right? I want yeah. the variable to the, to control the situation. So my idea is pay less for the house, wait for rates to come down, never be able to get that house for a different price. And with certain programs too, you can always leverage a, a buy down. You can leverage different options too to even have that rate be a little bit lower than what the current market is at. So it just depends on what your goals are and where your finances stand and where things are basically at from there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I'm glad you actually brought that up because that was sort of my next question. I wanted to talk about programs. So Mm -hmm. for people who don't understand what you mean by program, do you want to sort of explain it 101? What is a mortgage program? That's a a pretty open-ended subject. A mortgage program can be anything from just a standard conventional 30-year fixed loan to an ARM, FHA, VA, Jumbo, Megastars Cash Offer Guarantee Program, Refinances, DSCR. There's so many different programs to that you can use. And each has its own purpose. So that's one thing I do when I talk to my clients during their consultation meeting is I run numbers for different programs that may work for them that I think may work for them. And we come to a collective decision, decide which program is going to be the best for them. And each program is going to have their own benefits too. Maybe it's a lower down payment. Maybe it's a little bit of a lower interest rate. Maybe there's some down payment, you know, credits there too. It really just depends on what your goals are and where, you know, what you're looking to do to buy a property. Gotcha. So like, would I be correct to sort of, sort of make the connection between loan programs and like, just like a menu of loans? Essentially, yeah, like where you kind of pick pick and choose like, all right, well, this loan may have a higher rate, but a lower down payment, right? Because it's not buffet style. You can't walk up and say, I want this rate uh, paired with this type of down payment and this term. Like the loans are already or the programs are already put together ahead of time and you choose off the menu which one works best for you. And we customize them too, depending on their financial situation. Obviously, not every mortgage is going to be the exact same numbers. It's not. That's not reality. Every property is different too. So that's a good way to put it. It's like it's like a menu. You okay. can see the different options available to you, and that's what I do as I present them to you. Gotcha. Okay. And so you know, I know we don't have a situation here to explain what you know finding the right program would look like, but you know, f- when it comes to looking for programs, right, like. I know oftentimes I'll go to you with a property for an investment. So a program that you're going to put me in is not going to be an owner-occupied conventional 30-year fixed. It's going to be a different type of program. So would you say that oftentimes it's the property that the buyer is looking to purchase that dictates the program, or is it more so their financial situation? I think it's a bit of both. It depends what the subject property is being used for. Is it your primary residence? Is it an investment, second home? That totally depends on what the usage of the property is, but also really comes down to your finances too. Okay. Yeah. And I know we've run into that 
numerous times before where it's like, you know, even even when I was looking at one point, one of the programs didn't work for one small reason, which I think was income. So then you kind of have to readjust and move over to a different program. So, mm-hmm. you know, th- I think this it's to sort of encapsulate it all like the reason for all the programs is so that there is a second, third, fourth, fifth and sixth option for every client. Yeah, you want to present numerous options to people because at the end of the day, it's their mortgage and we're the ones educating on them, educating them on what that program should be. It's up to me to say, hey, this this mortgage program, I think is going to be the best fit for you. It's going to be good for your comfortable monthly payment and also give you the potential highest ROI as well. Okay. Um, All right, so sort of switching gears now. Touching sort of back on when we were talking earlier about how sometimes people are a little nervous going into the um, just going into the home buying process and the lending portion. What are those documents that you need up front? Like the very standard documents that any client would come to you and you would you would ask them for. Mm-hmm. To run a full pre-approval, there's four main documents that we need. We need most previous two months of bank statements, uh, two years tax returns, so 2021 and 2022, uh, a photo ID, passport, driver's license, whatever works, and then also your past two or three pay stubs. Okay. We only need two, but three for securities. Right. Never hurts. Yeah, the more the better. And, you know, so I know self-employed is obviously two years of tax returns. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, in my instance, I had only been working for one year. But W-2. So in that situation, what would you do there? You can use uh, school transcripts as, as a form of employment. Okay. You can use them. Um, I have worked with people that have only a year or two out of school that didn't have work you know, for the full two years before them. So we have utilized their transcripts from either high school or college to you know help them get pre-approved. Okay. And just sort of like clarify too, the reason for a pre-approval is really just when making the offer to the listing agent, to the seller, mm-hmm. they want to make sure that, you know, they're sort of, they're making sure that every buyer is qualified to purchase that house before they present the offer to the seller. They don't want to waste anybody's right. time and they want to ensure that if they're going to accept an offer that has these awesome, crazy, ridiculous terms on them, that, you know, you can afford the property and you don't, you know, get halfway through any transaction and find out you can't afford it. The whole point of a pre-approval is to find out your affordability. Right. We found out your your maximum purchase price and what your comfortable monthly payment is going to be. That's what a pre-approval will state. But then what that letter is going to show you is, okay, you're approved for this amount and this is what your monthly payment is going to be. And then the realtor goes and writes up a contract with that pre-approval and you guys go submit offers on homes. And once you get an offer accepted, come back to me and we put it under contract. And that's when we gather more of the the more in-depth documents and also put that loan together finally. Right. Okay. And, you know, I know we were talking about the documents, but obviously, regardless of what program, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, almost every situation you need some bit of cash to put up into the deal. I know you can get grants, but, you know, I, I guess what I'm asking is, how important is liquidity when looking looking to get a mortgage? Well, to clarify something, you cannot have paper cash. You have to have money yeah. 
in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're if you're a bartender or a server, you want to get pre-approved, always claim your tips on your tax returns, mm-hmm. but put it in the bank okay. as soon as you possibly can. Aside from that, um, having liquidity is super important. Nothing will ever hurt having more money available to you. No one's ever going to say, oh, you have too much money. Like, you, we can't approve you for this loan. Like, come on. Yep. Yes, you can. Right. The more money you have available to you when going through a house buying process, the better. Because I can almost guarantee, unless it's a new construction, that that house is going to need some form of touch-up or renovation to it. So whether it's just a quick paint job, you rip up the carpet and put hardwood flooring down, whatever the case may be, there it's always good to have more money you know, available to you when, when going through the pre-approval and house buying process because you never know what may pop up. I always present closing costs and down payment amounts and all that stuff up front. I'm very transparent about it. One thing that I've learned over my over the course of time doing this is that through financial psychology, people hate surprises, especially when it comes to money. I would rather overestimate what they're going to owe and then they, they go to closing and they owe less. That's a far better experience than if you were to undershoot and then actually owe more. Right. So I try to be very transparent and upfront about everything that comes with closing costs and down payment and you know the, the mortgage as well. So that's one thing I really prioritize too. Okay. And, um, you know, I know when this isn't typically your first time home buyer scenario, but some people have assets, right? They mm-hmm. have like an investment portfolio or they're buying a vacation home and they have a primary how do you use assets or you know equity in a property portfolio, whatever? How do you use that, um, you know, as liquidity, or or can you use it at all? Totally. Give you an example. I had a loan close on May eleventh, and we utilized this guy's Roth IRA and pension to be able to pre-approve him for a mortgage. He was fully retired. He had a primary residence in Massachusetts. But he wanted to close on this on his new property, his new build, before selling that property. So he had this huge leverage position within that property and also in his retirement accounts. So we were able to utilize his retirement accounts to pre-approve him for a mortgage. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, and you know, I think that covers everything on like the lending side. Yep. If there's anything you wanted to add. Um, you know, any advice that you have, anything you wanted to clarify, explain on the lending end of things? Totally. Let me explain the the cash offer guarantee program we have. So as we know, in this high rate market, FHA buyers are having a really tough time getting offers accepted right now. So even with a little bit of a lower interest rate, they're still having a hard time getting any offer accepted for that fact. So one thing that Megastar put together is this program where there's no financing or appraisal contingency if they approve for it. Um, Appraisal and inspection is done within seven days of the offer being accepted, and we can close in as little as 10 days. Essentially, that contract is what we'll communicate with the realtor with too, and we draft up that contract when we submit an offer, and and it's essentially the same terms as cash, but it's still a mortgage. Okay. So it's a really great program. I think the record closing so far in the company is, I think it's 15 days. Oh, wow. But we have a test tried before and it can't get done in 10 days. So we're still looking for that, you know, that person who can get us the 10 days. Yeah, right. But um, it's, it's been a really 
successful program out west in Colorado and also up in Minnesota too. So we're looking to bring it out here to the Northeast and help people out with it. That'd be awesome. I um, I assume like obviously when you submit that offer, it's similar to like a hard money offer, would you say? Like the way at least a realtor would write that up. I'm, not at all. Actually, no. it's not hard money whatsoever. It's still an FHA or a conventional loan. It also works for investors too, not just home buyers oh, or okay. first time buyers, I should say. Um, it's simply just the same terms as what cash would do. Because typically when you submit a cash offer, the loan can get, sorry, the, the property can be closed in just like under two weeks. It's a right. super quick and easy process as quick as the money versus you take out a mortgage and you need, you need the appraisal, the inspection, has, the loan has to be put through under contract and processing. There's more, there's more steps that come with that. So what we do is we pretty much eliminate all those steps and we expedite that process really quickly. And it's been very, very beneficial for people out West and, Again, if you want to be the first person in New Hampshire with this program, let me know. Let them know. Hit them up. So, all right. That's awesome. I think that that all would have helped a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, sort of switching gears into, and I know we touched on it earlier, introducing you like, you know, you're the only guy here in New Hampshire. I know I sort of asked what it's like starting your own business, sort of. I don't even want to air quote it. It is really your own business. What's your entrepreneurial journey been like, I guess? And let's start from maybe what were you doing in college, like towards the end of college, out of college, and what gear switched? From the dawn of day, I've always wanted to do my own thing and be my own boss. Like I've always wanted to run my own business and do my own thing from the the moment I can even remember, like four or five years old being like, I'm going to own a business one day. And I always also wanted to be an investor too, whether it was real estate, stock market, angel investing, whatever the case may be, I've always wanted to have my money work for me. I don't want to work for money. I want my money to work for me too. So I went to college to study economics and finance to get a better understanding of how money works. And I went to SNU, great experience. Um, Got out of college and I joined Guaranteed Rate in 2021. Yeah, 2021, I joined Guaranteed Rate. And they taught me a ton about sales and networking and event planning and marketing too on top of that. While I also leveraged my my degree with economics and finance as well. It was a pretty typical, you know, you work your 40 hours, make your calls, report to your manager. I enjoyed the work, but for someone who does have that entrepreneurial mind, who always wants to go one step further, you're limited as to what you can do and accomplish there. And you're also limited as to what you can make as well. So I knew I had to take that next step and join Megastar. That's what I did last year. And I'm beyond grateful and thankful for that experience on top of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And like I said, what, what you've been able to do over in this part of the country, being a one-man show is like, impressive but also inspiring too just to see how you manage it all how you sort of come up with a plan figure out what it is that you need to do in order to generate leads but then come up with a system to actually you know really work with these people work with these clients and provide a top level of service and then you know from there really just make sure that everything is compartmentalized 
in in its place things go very smoothly mm-hmm. um you know when you when you push a deal through so um what's your future with lending and entrepreneurship in general i'll never stop being a lender it's such a rewarding experience to guide people through an investment a financial transaction like that for the majority of people buying a home is the is the biggest investment they'll ever make so with that you should you should want to be there to advise people and to guide people through that whole process from the, the moment you talk to them all the way through closing and, and and so on as well. So I never, ever plan to stop lending anytime soon. It's a very rewarding, fulfilling career for me. Um, but with that, being an entrepreneur, you want to provide value to the world and make the world a better place. And you don't have to recreate the wheel, but you can make it better, though. I've always wanted to own a gym and to own my own fitness community that way. Um, whether it's here in New Hampshire, out in Denver, somewhere else, wherever the case may be. I've always enjoyed what working out has brought to me. And I, I'm now at a point in my life where I can't function without it. So I want to create a community and create a setting where I can hopefully inspire people to be in shape and, and kick ass every day. That'd be, that'd be awesome too. I would love to invest in real estate, invest in myself for that matter, and just try to find ways to continue to provide value to the world to make the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that's great. And I know that's sort of been your, your MO really is, is like I said, it, it kind of goes with the quality of service that you give, right? Like you're, you're very in touch with kind of helping people and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, you know, what I've noticed for you, it's almost not anything to do with the money it has everything to do with the service and the quality and the money will follow you right exactly 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 and i think you've, you've done a great job mastering that that skill um what's uh what's one three five years out looking like one year from now i want to be a very established lender here in New Hampshire and out in Colorado too. For those that don't know, I am licensed in New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts, and Colorado. I split time between the two states, New Hampshire and Colorado. Um, I just love both areas and I want to be an established lender in both of those communities. Uh, Three-year plan, I would love to own uh, at least two properties by that point. House hack, invest, find a way to live below my means that way through my monthly living expenses, then a five-year goal. This would be a dream come true, but to own a house in the Rocky Mountains at some point, whether it's in Vail or Breckenridge or Keystone, wherever the, wherever there's mountains and I can have a house there, that would be that would be an absolute dream come true. All right, any insights and advice for aspiring entrepreneurs? Because that's what this whole podcast is really about: is to bring in, you know, like the younger generation of entrepreneurs who have taken those first Mm -hmm. one to five steps of their entrepreneurial journey so that it's more applicable knowledge and advice to somebody just starting out. So any, any insights and advice that you have for somebody in that position? Well, first things first, being an entrepreneur is a mindset. It's the will and the drive to want to work for yourself and to always stay consistent. There's going to be days where you're super driven. There's going to be days where you don't want to do anything. And anywhere in between so it's important to stay consistent and persistent in your day-to-day practice like you do real estate and do constructions renovations i do mortgage financing and hopefully fitness training and owning a gym at some point 
that's entrepreneurial because you're owning your own thing and you're doing your own thing and it's up to you to make your own income and help inspire other people along the way. So my advice for people who want to become entrepreneurs and own their own business, just do it. Like, yeah, I, there's, there's a, there's a part of me that wishes I never went to college because I'd be six years ahead of where I'm right. currently at, but I had to have that experience go to guaranteed rate. And then I would have never met my manager, Mike, if it wasn't for college. Cause I met a friend of mine who worked with Mike beforehand through at snow. But at the end of the day, just go into it. Be, if you have a, if you have a, a dream or a goal in mind to do your own thing, just go do it. You right. never know when your, your day is going to be last. And that sounds really cynical to say that, but that's just the truth. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, would you say one of the reasons that you even have that partial regret is also just because, you know, at least in my experience, I learned so much more being on the site. And I don't even mean job site. I just mean on the site of whatever it is that I'm doing, like, in the business itself, I learn more hands-on than I do out of a textbook or in a college. I agree. Okay. Yeah. So, and I, I think that's the biggest takeaway too with like, like the, you know, if you have a dream, if you have a passion, just do it, grasp it, take it head on essentially. Mm-hmm. Partially just because I think it's more valuable to make those mistakes, you know, make those mistakes in the field versus learning about the mistakes through a book that somebody had made 20 years ago. Oh, and when you make a mistake that you inflicted upon yourself, you learn from that far more than you ever will from a textbook or a teacher teaching that to you. It's it's just yeah. the way that life is. So I think getting actual real world experience, whether that's internships through college or you don't go to school and you continue to, to uh, work, there's always that what if factor, like, oh, what if I just got into lending when I was 18, right out of high school, I'd have six years under my belt compared to two. It's like, yeah, I, I look back and like, oh, what could have been? But at the end of the day, I don't regret a single thing because I wouldn't be where I'm at today without, right. you know, what I went through. So no regrets whatsoever. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I think that your path is still far ahead of 99% of people. So I don't think you have anything to worry about. Um, all right, so this is kind of closing out. This is something I don't even think I had mentioned to you, but this is something I do on here is, so the prior guest, I have them ask a question mm-hmm. to the next guest, but they have no idea who that next guest is okay. going to be. I like that. So you'll you'll obviously make a question for the next guest. You won't have any idea who it's going to be. Sure. So, you know, whatever general question. The last guest, very simple he asked, what is it that gets you up out of bed every morning? Gosh. There's so many facets of my life that I want to be really incredible at. I want to be an amazing mortgage lender. I want to do amazing at triathlons when I race them. I want to be an amazing boyfriend to Jill. I want to be a great friend to all my friends. I want to continue to learn and do something new well, I want to continue to learn every day. If that requires doing something new or sharpening the knives, whatever that's going to entail, I want to be really good at it. I've always had high expectations for myself to succeed. And you can succeed with money 
in your career, but you can also not succeed in other parts of your life. And there's more to life than just your career and the amount of money you have. It doesn't matter if you don't have the right people in it, if you haven't don't have life experience with that too. Go on vacation two, three times a year. Like yeah. you have to. Like I love the grind. I love doing what I do every day, but taking a week and going to ski Breckenridge, mm-hmm. sign me up for that. Yeah. Like I'm I'll be there in a heartbeat because I know that that time away is so valuable to recharge and to enjoy life experience that way. So what gets me out of bed in the morning is to just consistently be better in every part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Just like the, the self-improvement angle of, you know, it's not even like the, it's not even the idea of just trying to perfect necessarily every facet of your life, but it's just more, you know, I, I mean, at the end of the day, challenge challenges are interesting because they're unexplored Mm -hmm. territory and anything unexplored, I think is super, super interesting to just the human brain in general. I wouldn't even say to me or you specifically, I just think anything unexplored, there's always questioning. There's always curiosity and we're creatures of curiosity. So when we're sort of going into that time in our life where we're maybe a little uncertain or not even uncertain, just as much as like, Hey, am I capable of doing twice the amount of volume next year as I did this year, right? Or am I capable of converting two leads today instead of one yesterday, right? Just from that small scale all the way up through to the largest scales, right? Can I double my income? Can I triple my revenue? Whatever it is, it's I feel like there's the curiosity and the challenge. So, you know, I, I would agree with you there sort of like from my perspective as well, getting me out of bed as well. It's like, you know, sort of that challenge and like, What's next? What What's there to explore that at the end of the day will make me more valuable and exponentially grow me so that I can explore even more? And that's being an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurial mindset is, it's, it's a mindset to consistently learn, to grow, to take accountability for your mistakes, to learn and grow and build from that. Um, that's part of the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial mindset as well, because if you don't have that, doesn't matter how good your business is. If you can't take accountability for your mistakes, if you can't grow with the mistakes you've made, um, you, you're not going to see success that way. So I think it's really important to be open-minded, appreciate everything that comes your way, whether it was good or bad, because you can learn something from it. And again, just find ways to consistently improve in life because your life will be better because of it. What, what's that saying where it's like, like, Easy times create easy men. What's what's that term or hard term? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It's um, it's tough times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. Weak men create tough times. Yep, yep, yep. Exactly. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And it's it's you know, I I wouldn't even if you shrink it down to a smaller scale, it's not even as much about the the generation right like one generation of fathers weak and this and that i mean i think it's your prior decision you can compare that to your prior decision if you know right if you were put in a tough situation that probably made you stronger um right so if you're gonna now use that strength to create an easier situation for yourself a more challenging situation for yourself and i you know i'm trying to figure out how I can compare this. I guess the way that I'm thinking about it is sort of like the easier 
we make it for ourselves, I feel like the less apt we are to indulge in that curiosity. So I think it's always nice to keep yourself on your toes a little bit, right? Like, like always have those challenging, tough times, you know, cause it, it, it keeps you going, keeps you motivated. It also keeps you disciplined. Mm-hmm. I, I think just, you know, I think that's the beauty of the entrepreneurial spirit. It's just, you're, you're always, you're always mid challenge, right? Because we chase challenges, we chase problems to solve. So you're never really satisfied. You're never that, you're, you're never in that weak time because there was never really an easy time, mm-hmm. right? Building a business, you're going to experience adversity. And if you can't handle that adversity, your career as an entrepreneur is going to be very short-lived. Yeah. So there's, there's going to be hard times in every part of your life too. Maybe you are trying to get back into shape or maybe your girlfriend dumps you or maybe you know, someone in your family dies or whatever the case may be, everyone's hard times are different depending how they react to it. But it's important to, you know, learn from it, build from it and grow from it. Again, whether it's in or out of your business. So yeah, adversity, while I don't wish it upon anybody, it's bound to happen at some point. And it's up to you to, to know how to respond to that properly. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, your question for my next guest. No rush on it. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a, it's good because I actually have no idea who the person's going to be. You here. have no idea, yeah. so you don't know what their expertise are going to be. Right. You have no idea what it is that they're interested in. Mm-hmm. So something that you think would benefit any listeners to hear an answer from somebody else. If you didn't start today, how would you feel about yourself five years from now? I like that. Yep. If you didn't start today, how would you feel about yourself five years from now? You're not going to see change in a month. You're going to see change in five years. Mm-hmm. You never know. A month, it could be the same thing just over and over and over again. Those monotonous right. things. But over the course of five years, if you s- stay persistent and consistent to do the things you need to do every day to succeed, you're going to see that traction. Yeah. You're going to see that those results come through. So Absolutely. And you won't even by the time you get to that five years you won't even notice how much you've changed until you take your step back. Right. Because it's like, it's like, even, even now, I'm sure you do this too. We look back at, you know, the last month, call it right. That's probably the furthest we go back in our recollection of where we were at. And we don't see too much change. And this happens for the gym as well all the time. It's like, you know, you get, you need that longer term scale as well. So it's, you know, a lot can change in a month. Absolutely. But it's your perspective that you you need to see on a grander scale how much has changed in a certain time period and a month just isn't enough time. So yeah. it's it's the discipline, right? The consistency of it, obviously. And those are just very general expectations in this business. But absolutely, like just the... Oh, yeah. If you told me five years ago that I would have traveled to 11 countries, become an Ironman... Um, which is wild. We can, we can talk about that. In yeah, yeah. Like I, I want to bring that up. Um, travel to 11 countries, become an Ironman, graduate college in three years, grow a nice beard, and then <laughs> pursue the career that I'm in and have the progress that I've made so far. I have no way would have I believed you and then have an amazing girl by my side. Like That's, right. that's yeah. incredible to be able to have that. If you, told me, if you told me that five years ago, I would have been like, that's that's a dream come true. Right. So to see that progress come through 
is really cool. And I'm, I'm so excited to see what the next five years brings. I'm only 23. Right. Yeah. I'll be 28 in five years. And with that, you know, it's, there's still so much time to build and grow. So I'm, I'm pumped for it. You'll be 28. Your buddy's going to be buying his place in 2028. So hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, yeah, I guess so. You know what I mean? You'll yeah. be ready. He'll be settled down by that point. Hopefully. Um, do you know, Tom Bullock? Not personally. It's one of the top that. agents in all of New Hampshire. I think, okay, I think yeah. he just got listed number three in all of New England for total listings in the month of month of May or June. That's crazy That's to unreal. think about. But he's not one of my preferred partners. He can be if he wants to be, though, if you're listening, Tom. <laughs> Tom, hit him up. But um, a good mutual colleague of ours, he mentioned that he only closed like four or five deals in his first year, which is 2018. And he's basically just doubled that every every year. And then 2022, he closed 66 houses. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's funny you just bring that up because I was just about to kind of work off of that point is to not to not overestimate what you can do in a month, but don't underestimate what you can do in five years. Because if you had told yourself five years ago, all of what you had just explained, mm-hmm. right, it would be a dream come true, but it would also be. I only have five years to do all this. That's not enough time. Yeah. It is enough time on a, and again, that grander scale, that perspective where you realize like five years is a lot of time. It's a lot of time for a lot to change. But again, like that barrier of entry and really anything, I think anything from taking yourself from scratch, from nothing to something valuable. Again, like I, I compare it to the gym because that's, I think the most well-known it's easier to compare the gym than I guess business to somebody who doesn't necessarily have that entrepreneurial spirit, but mm-hmm. right. Like that first month, that first three months, you sure you may see some changes or whatever, and then it starts to slow down. It's not until you get to about 12 months where you really look back and you say, wow, I have come a long way. I think I overestimated what I would look like at the end of month three or month four, mm-hmm. but by month 12, I did not think I could look like this. Right. So I, or, mm-hmm. or even month 24, right. Two years, three years, whatever it is. I, I, and I think the same goes for business, right. It's just like the, <clears throat> the expectation should always be going into it consistency and long-term mm-hmm. and you'll surprise yourself when you don't worry about like, right. How quick can I make a million dollars? It's now, how well can I build a foundation to continue to make me a million dollars? I think, I think, yeah, I'm not even going to say it's, I'm not going to say it's easy to make a million dollars in a year, but I think that it's more difficult to build a foundation, to build that residual every year, year over year, than it would be to just open up a service business in a fad market and make a million dollars. And then you just essentially lose any mm-hmm. any income that could come because it was a fad right so it's all about making the world a better place at the end of the yeah. day yep and we work in an industry where housing is a i believe a human right mm-hmm. and we need to make sure people have that yeah. at their disposal mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely um i know we said we were almost done but i want to hear about this iron man i've explained this so many times but i love talking about it I'm very fortunate to have grown up in a household where both my parents worked out all the time. My mom was always in the gym. My dad's always on his dirt bike. Just he's in the gym every morning at 530, just always involved with a healthy lifestyle. We always ate good. You know, 
working out and just being active and playing sports was just very natural to me and very like wasn't forced either just something i love to do right um i think having parents that were both active you know plays a big role on that too both my sisters are also very active too so you know it goes hand in hand um i've always loved weightlifting pumping iron in the gym it's you know it's one of the best feelings ever so no matter how good or shitty your, your workout is you feel good after you know you feel good when you when you look right I can't talk right now. Well, well, yeah, mentally you feel... You look good, feel good. Yep, yep. How it is. So, went, did that all throughout high school and college, but there was a, a point in time during college where I'm like, I, I really enjoy this. I'm never going to stop doing it, but there's got to be something else that I can go train for and, and do. I've already thrown around 275 on bench. I've squatted four plates. Like, I've hit some pretty good milestones for what my body can handle, you know, what else can I achieve? And then in 2019, I watched this documentary of this guy named Nick Bear. He owns BPN Supplements. You may have heard of him before. Yeah, yeah, that name's familiar. He, again, same thing, was just a big, bulky bodybuilder. And then he said, I'm, I'm going to do an Ironman triathlon. He says, mom died of cancer and wanted to raise awareness and money for yeah, yeah. that form of cancer. And he documented his entire journey you know, from like April, March, when he started all the way through October, September, whenever he did the race. And it just, it captivated me just watching every video, how he planned his nutrition, how he planned his training, how he, how he trained his workouts and his rest days and his business as well. That it so captivated me to have this extremely lofty physical goal to achieve while also building a company that's far from a foundation. It's still growing. It's like you're running around with your head cut off type right. deal yeah so he's actively growing a company while also producing content while also training for this ultra endurance race and just being able to manage all that just so captivated me and then this is there's this other youtube channel called yes theory have you heard of them before yeah um, well maybe i'm thinking of orange theory so completely different two, <laughs> two, different, <laughs> two different things yes yeah. theory is great you should watch them sometime. okay yeah but they also released a video of one of their members doing an Ironman too. And he documented the training and the journey behind it. And then obviously seeing videos of race days, just it's really cool to watch. Right. So during that time in 2019, like this is really cool. Like maybe one day I'll do this. And then the next year COVID hit, all the gyms are shut down. I'm like, okay, well I have to stay in shape because I can't live without working out. So I picked up lots of running, biking, and I actually ended up playing like flag football and basketball with friends from my hometown. Yeah. Like just because there's nothing else to do. To yeah, right, right. Yeah. Right. So I was finishing up college at that time too. And then I ended up meeting up with some old high school friends of mine. Um, all of them are military dudes. So they're all, you know, oh, yeah. They all have that same mindset. Yep. yep. And we all started running together. And then one of them shot us a text and was like, hey, this Sunday, it's like a Thursday. This Sunday, we're running a marathon. Now, I'm like, the most I've ever ran before was like 14, 13 miles before. Like, I've never crossed that threshold before. Right. And I'm like, let's just do it. We're running a marathon, I guess, yeah. So, we went to the National River Rail Trail, and we ran a marathon. The hardest pain I've ever felt, but the feeling of accomplishment and pride when you see 26.2 on the the watch after – like holy fuck i just ran a marathon yeah seriously it's like 
what else can I accomplish? What else can I do? And then later that year in 2020, when COVID was still, still very much so happening, there was this kid named Chris Nickich who has Down syndrome mm-hmm. and he finished an Ironman triathlon. Oh, wow. Where, where is this kid from? Florida. Okay. He, but he's big on social media. Yeah. He posts a lot. Um, and funny how I got to connect with him. When I was working at Guaranteed Rate, I worked with a lender down in Miami. And this lender in Miami was a direct partner with this guy named Dan Grebe. Okay. Dan Grebe is a broker owner for a Keller Williams Orlando office. And Dan Grebe was Chris Nickich's guide during the Ironman. Oh, okay. So that's, oh, that's how cool. I found out yeah. about him is through Guaranteed Rate and they, you know, through just a business partner. And I'm like, wow, that's, there's no way I can't do this now between two great documentaries I just watched running a marathon earlier this year and then watching this kid do it. Right. I'm like, yeah. All yeah. right. Next no, year, no excuses. Next year yeah. I'm doing this. So March, 2021, I was looking at races, signed up for Indiana in October. I'm thinking, okay, perfect. Not too hot, not too cold, good middle ground, and it's flat. You know, for a first race, it's flat, it's open, you know, it's not going to be, it's it's hard, but it's not going to be one of the harder races right. compared to like Boulder, Colorado, or Alaska. So I signed up for that one, and then from literally early April through early October, that was my life. I was in a prior relationship, and I was training too much, and she dumped me because I was training too much. <laughs> Priority straight, though. I, got, I guess so, right? Yep. So, that went through that, went through a breakup during this training, but also, you know... That's that added layer of motivation, though. Oh, uh, the forbidden pre-workout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, I, I was watching Nick Bear's content consistently, just consuming as much as I possibly could to train as best as I can for it. Um, I ended up doing a half Ironman as, like, a just a get my feet wet yeah like an introduction to it in august of that year and i actually didn't complete it i finished the swim and the bike but on the bike my leg started to cramp up in my knee and when you're biking for 56 miles during a half ironman to automatically shift from biking to running with that cramp it's just a different form of motion and my leg actually gave out really yep and I couldn't, I could barely walk. Was the rest it like of a dramatic day. fall too? Like, it was, yeah. Oh, no it, way. it totally was. I, if someone has it on film, please send it to me. I would oh, love, I would love to watch awesome. it. I didn't make it 20 steps outside from the transition oh, zone. Yep. Sucks. And I was so upset by that. I'm like, I, I, I've trained so hard for it. Like, I have to go back yeah. to the drawing board now. I'm in Indiana in six weeks. Like, how am I going to make this work? Um, went back to the drawing board, changed a few things up just in time, and finished finished Ironman Indiana in just under 16 hours that's that, that's crazy yeah. it's it's like that's to me a different level of character building mm-hmm. right because like you know we talk about the gym and what it does mentally and physically whatever I I think they're two of the same right like the way you feel physically affects how you feel mentally and vice versa but you know that's a challenge for sure getting in the gym every day staying disciplined but training for a marathon, let alone a triathlon, is I, I I don't think there's really much that beats character building from that. I, I really don't. I, it, it at least in a positive light, right? I mean, there's some negative things that can build your character and in hindsight look positive in the end, but right. That is just you know. So how many miles total is it? You said 56 was a half just for bike. It's for the full Ironman. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, the half the, Iron, Iron. the half Ironman is 70 miles. 
the full Iron Man is 140. You bike, you that. swim 2.4, you bike 112, and you run a marathon all in the same day. And I'm, what's funny too is like, you know, when you wake up early in the morning, you're groggy. You're like, ah, gotta get up and do it. Yeah. I so I woke up at four o'clock in the morning that day because race time started at seven. Want to get there early, stretch, train, get ready. I woke up and I was wired. Oh, like yeah, the, you have to. The be. second I woke up, I'm like. Let's fucking go. Yeah, this is game time. Like, the second the alarm hit, I was up out of bed. Like, no one talked to me. I'm in the zone. Yeah. I've never really had that experience before, too. Because typically when I wake up, I'm like, uh, five more minutes. Yeah, I'll, five I'll, more I'll, minutes. I'll get up. Yeah, it turns into what No, I, I woke up and I was just, like, ready to go. Yeah. Pretty unique experience. I imagine it's those milestone events. Like I said, it's it's, it's those milestones that you know are building your character. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it just... And through pain is is where I think the most value is brought, right? Like that's why, you know, and, and I won't get too too off on a tangent, but I want to sort of make the correlation. There's a reason why inherently, and I'm not saying this because it's right, but I'm just saying inherently, we notice that people who have more money are often just respected off the bat more. Right. They just have that obvious level of respect up front. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that subconsciously we realize that that money, right, is tough to get. And so it's looked at as valuable, right? Anything that you obtain that was tough or you had to go through pain to get, right? Like you even see people with these giant scars on the on their body. You respect them more because Although, you know, they went through a lot of pain that built their character and you respect them for the pain that they went through because it negativity or negative things that happen to you inherently, I think, are valuable and they hold more value sometimes, I think, than the positives only because they they have a essentially a larger impact. And correct me if I'm wrong from your perspective, but I I feel like more often than not my failures have a bigger impact on me than my successes do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I think that the the failures and the pain and the negativity often is viewed as more valuable because it made more of an impact. We call it character development for a reason. Yeah. You when you fail at something, something did not work. So you go back and reflect on it. Shit, this did not feel good. I don't want to have this feeling again. What can I learn from this and how can I apply it for the future? Versus when you succeed, it's all serotonin life's great you're laughing you're smiling and sure you cherish it but you don't i guess in that moment it's like you, you built off of what failed and you were able to you know prevail from it right so i think you absolutely learn more from failures than you do from success yeah in any aspect of your life too yeah or or even it, I, I wouldn't even narrow it down to failures as much as just pain mm. right just just pain in general any any sort of pain, like I said, the Iron Man, you didn't fail at it. You you succeeded at the Iron Man, but that was pain. That was absolutely but painful. I guess you could say I didn't finish the half Iron Man. That's considered a failure. Well, that is absolutely. But you just you regroup, you go a different path, and you you find a way to find a way to make it work. Six weeks later, did the full one. And now it's tattooed on my back. <laughs> I love it. Yep, I love it. Totally. Um. All right, anything that you want to plug here? Anything that you want to sort of add in? Final thoughts? We said it earlier in the podcast, but I'm going to say it one more time. If you have some form of vision that you want for yourself, 
if you didn't start today, how would you feel about yourself five years from now? I love it. I love it. Five years from now, I'll be Megastar's number one producer. I love it. I'll have the you house. Heard it in, from himself. I'll have the house in Breckridge. What time? What day is it? It, it is <laughs> July eleventh, twenty twenty three. So July eleventh, twenty twenty eight. I'll be the Megastar's number one producer that I year. Love to hear it. Yep. You want to plug any socials? You bet. Nick White one on Instagram. Nick White mortgages on TikTok. Uh, Nick White zero on Twitter. Just Nick White on Facebook, and then Nick White on LinkedIn, and and Nick White mortgages on YouTube. Send him a follow. If anyone needs follow, a follow, subscribe, friend request me, connect with me on LinkedIn. Yep. Give me the follow on every platform, and if you if you know anyone who's looking to buy or refinance a house in New Hampshire, Mass, Maine, or Colorado, soon to be Florida, let me know. Love to hear it. Awesome man, I appreciate you coming on today. Tyler, thanks so much, dude. Absolutely. It was a pleasure.